0: Thursday evening of Jesus' earthly life, he was was tracked down, hunted, tracked down, arrested, turned over to the authorities, and then subjected to a night-long series of trials. This all culminated Friday morning before the the Jewish religious leaders with his condemnation. A crowd then assembled who, with just a... escalating emotional intensity, uh, turned into a rabble and with great vehemence cried out for Jesus to be crucified. And he was crucified, hung on a cross with nails. And late that Friday afternoon, he died an indescribably excruciating death. Now for those of you who have been with us now for these last few months, you've been tracking with us through the Gospel of John, based on what we've seen so far through these first four chapters of the Gospel of John, could anybody, could anybody reading this account up to this point have anticipated that things would come to that? There was some tension, uh, saw it in John chapter 2 on account of Jesus Interrupting and upsetting certain practices going on in the temple. But for the most part, up to now, in these first four chapters, there's just nothing that would suggest things could end up culminating in the brutal violence poured out on Jesus that we commemorated here just a couple of nights ago. But all that changes in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is a pivot point. It's a turning point in this entire biography. And in this chapter, we hear the word kill for the first time. And Jesus is the object. He is the target of that. And not only is Jesus the focal point of the Jewish authorities' intense hatred from, from a distance, from afar, they actually here now begin to persecute Jesus because he was, he was not abiding by, he was not conforming to their teaching. And so now, again, for the first time, there is open, there is talked about, there is explicit, officially sanctioned opposition with a view to killing Jesus. And what is perhaps most remarkable beginning in John chapter 5 is that rather than seeking to avoid the conflict instead of trying to diffuse the bomb so to speak and dial it all down Jesus rather seizes the occasion to make incredibly strong statements about himself. And it's, and it's into this very... First, real, serious, open hostility against Jesus. That we find Jesus spelling out, in no uncertain terms, the unique relationship between himself and God the Father. And truth be told, it's on account of these strong, bold statements regarding Jesus' relationship with God the Father. That there is such strong Escalating hostility toward Jesus, and what Jesus is now saying concerning Himself, concerning His relationship with God, Jesus is calling God His own Father. So let's look at the situation that it just aroused all this. Controversy. I invite you to follow along. I'm going to read beginning with John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these, in these, these colonnades, these kind of a porch-like areas, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So you can, you, you can imagine perhaps just scores of suffering people, crippled people, maimed, victims of accidents or war birth defects and disabilities and and, and no professional or sanitary medical care it, it, you know the sight of it the I could imagine the sound of it lots of groaning and moaning the smell of it it must have been must have been something like out of a horror film just a gallery of human brokenness. Verse 5. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, we're not told why or what it was that called Jesus' attention to this particular man. But it's not the first time in John's Gospel that we've seen Jesus express knowledge of someone that he didn't know. He, he knew this man's background similarly to the way that he knew or had known Nathanael back in chapter 1, verses 47 and 48. Remember, before Philip called you, when you were under the tree, I saw you, Nathanael. Or... John chapter 2 verse 24, Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew what was in man. Or John 4, 17 to 19, and the woman of Samaria, you're right in saying that you have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. So Jesus knows stuff. He sees people in. he knows their hearts. He, He knows every life. And perhaps that's what's behind this rather odd question. Do you want to be healed? (laughs) What kind of question is that? Why else would the man be laying there at this pool? Why, Why were all these scores of people lying around this pool? Bethesda had the reputation of being a healing place. It was the place to go where people went to get healed. There was a popular belief apparently about this pool since it was situated on top of an underground spring. And when there would be this intermittent kind of bubbling up of the underwater spring, the popular notion went that, that this bubbling was an angel. Angel stirring the water, and the first person who could get themselves into the pool after the water bubbled would be healed. So, of course, he wants to be healed. I mean, it's obvious, is it not? Or is Jesus even really talking about what's so to us obvious? Could it be that Jesus was, as we've already seen several times in this gospel, asking about something bigger? Is he actually probing something that is under the surface of the obvious. Might this be another one of those kind of more meaningful than you first realize kind of statements that Jesus makes and he has made. We've heard him make it to, to with Nicodemus and we, we saw and heard him make this kind of a statement with the woman at the well and we saw and heard him make this kind of a statement with this officer from Capernaum with the dying boy. Unless you see signs and wonders you won't believe. Is this another one of those kinds of statements You want to be healed? Verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said, Get up. Take up your bed. And walk. And at... Once, at once, after 38 years, at once, the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk. Now, I think it's important for us to register that this man was not actually, in fact, in violation of the Old Testament law. We'd be mistaken to think that. He's not in violation of the real law. He is in violation of what had been added by the religious leaders to the law. He is in violation of the tradition of the religious authorities who had over time spelled out very precisely 39 particular activities that one could not do on the Sabbath. And this just happened to be one of the 39 activities. You can't pick up your bed and carry it. And so conformity, To the tradition taught by these leaders, it was very strongly and passionately enforced. And so narrowly were these leaders focused. They just, they're focused on this tradition and their conformity to this tradition that apparently it did not even register with them that a man who had not walked for 38 years was now walking. So narrowly are they focused on this violation that they just couldn't, they couldn't even marvel, they couldn't rejoice, they couldn't praise God for the miraculous healing of this tragically disabled human being. So narrowly are they focused that they failed to consider the possibility that something. Amazing-like, something miraculous, something God-like was going on right in front of them. Verses 11 through 17. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who? Who? is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this, here it is, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Friends, l- l- listen to this. If someone breaks the Sabbath, they're either irreligious, doesn't matter, or maybe they might be someone with greater authority than the Old Testament law. could be someone with greater authority at least than the tradition of the religious leaders. So, Jesus says in verse 17, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And the work that is being done, This work that I am involved in, it supersedes the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a servant of the purpose of the Father. There's more going on here than physical healing. The Father and I are one. We're working together. The Father is working and His work is greater than the Sabbath. I'm working, my work is greater than the Sabbath. We're not constrained by the Sabbath. We're not limited by the Sabbath. We created the Sabbath. <laughs> and in reality, the Sabbath is just, it's just a shadow pointing to the real rest, the real Sabbath that I have come to bring. And so come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, for I am the true Sabbath. Of course, Jesus didn't say all that in verse 17, but you're probably going like, what Bible is he reading from? But, um, but that's what's inside that sentence. They're pregnant words, full, bursting with meaning. And the Jewish leaders, you know, they understand, in part, the meaning that Jesus is communicating, in part. When Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working, they get it. They understand. And something real big gets set off, gets triggered in their minds, and in their hearts. And so in verses 17 and 18 it says, But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now I can imagine that, that those words could... Be confusing, right? I can imagine it being confusing because I can imagine, of course, this would have never happened uh, for us, but I can imagine a conversation happening between father and son. I realize this could be impossible for you to imagine, but just for a second, stretch your mind a little bit. Imagine a father instructing his son like this I'm the dad. You are the son. I know this is pushing things, really blowing your minds here, but anyway. I'm the dad, you're the son. Your job is not to give instructions to the rest of the family. Your job is to listen to instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's teaching. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Your job is to listen and hear and obey. Children, obey your parents. You see, the, the point of a talk like that, of course, this would never happen in your homes, but, but the, the point of a talk like that is to communicate that the father and the son are not equal. In terms of authority, a son is not equal to his father. So this could be a confusing statement that Jesus is making. So what is going on in John 5.18? Well, the Jewish leaders would have immediately understood what he was saying. There would have been no confusion at all. When Jesus speaks of himself as the Son of God. He's not using the kind of language that would communicate in any way that he is somehow secondary to the Father or that he was created by the Father or that he is somehow under the Father's authority. Instead, Jesus is using language to communicate really exactly the opposite thing. He is saying, I am the Son in order to identify himself with God in his very nature. My nature is divine. I am of the same essence as the Father. I am of the same stuff as God. And those who heard him say these things they knew exactly what he was saying. Every time Jesus Spoke like this. They knew what he meant. And they did not like what he meant. It was provoking. Look for a moment at John chapter 10. Verses 27 to 33. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them Eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Here it is. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Loved ones, the doctrine of the incarnation, the doctrine of God become flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. It has been a dividing line of offense ever since Jesus first said it. The words, our Father... Our father, though that was a regular part of, of the worship of the Jewish people, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. But, but this individual manner in which Jesus speaks of his relationship with God as his Father, the religious leaders, they hear that and their response is, What did you say? <laughs> Disregarding our traditions. Concerning the Sabbath, that's one thing. But you, a man, you can't speak like that. And they immediately grasped the implication of it for John 5.18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was calling God his own father making himself equal with God. Which is exactly what Jesus was claiming. So you see, at a, at a certain level, the Jews understood Jesus, <laughs> they got him, You know, they, they understood him perfectly. And in spite of the fact, I think this is what's very remarkable in spite of the fact that nothing more really needed to be said to intensify the crisis of the moment, Jesus instead seizes the opportunity, according to verses 19 to 29, to now explain the doctrine of the incarnation in his own words. He unpacks it, he articulates it, He explains and emphasizes and makes unmistakably clear what it is that he is claiming. Namely, that he is equal with God. Jesus is claiming something very essential about himself. Something totally unique about himself. Very unusual. Very distinct about who he is. As well as the practical implications of it. So, listen carefully, beginning in verse 19. So, Jesus said to them, by the way, that's also the word we translate, therefore. Those of you that give attention to careful Bible study, you know, always... There's a therefore, you know, got to figure out what it's there for. And so, we are now landing on the main point of this entire section. Here it is. The main point is not so much the healing, the main point is what the healing set off and presented Jesus now with an opportunity to explain. So, therefore, Jesus said to them, or, in other words, therefore, since I now have your attention... Let me spell this out as clearly as I can. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself. So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's some pretty deep water spend a long time swimming to the bottom of all that. So all I hope to do here is to just to isolate the main things, right? The main things that Jesus is saying. And there's there's really just two main things that that Jesus is emphasizing. One it's it's very clear that Jesus is stressing he's stressing the union that exists between Jesus and God the Father. There, there is a unity. There is a unity between Jesus and God the Father. It's a unity of will. There is a unity of purpose. There is a unity of thought. There is a unity of action between Jesus and the Father. All that the Son does is, is perfectly Concurrent, coincident, coextensive I don't know. I've got a doctorate so I can use words like that. Uh, there, 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 there's just this union, right? Between the Son and everything that the Father does. Jesus and the Father are working in union. In perfect harmony. The Father's working. The Son is working. What the Father does, the Son does. Such that if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. And if you don't honor the Father, you're not going to be honoring the Son. But if you do honor the Son, well then of course at the same time you'll be honoring the Father. There is a perfect unity of will and action and purpose and pleasure. But listen, this, this is Jesus' point of emphasis here. Can't miss this. The words and the deeds of the Son Are the very words and the deeds of the Father. So, what is Jesus saying in this incredible claim about himself? What Jesus is saying is that I'm the Son of God. Absolutely and perfectly one with the will and the works of the Father. And the Father is likewise perfectly committed to, at one with, the mission that I'm on. I and the Father are one. It's one work that we're doing together. And yet each has his own particular unique role. We're we're united in one larger purpose. One purpose shared by both. One will shared by both. One work shared by both. And being accomplished by both. But listen now. That's not the only thing that Jesus is saying here. This is where it gets personal for us. Out of that perfect unity of purpose and will and work, there is a particular and specialized authority given to the Son in His unique role in the work for the accomplishment of the mission there is a specialized authority, there's an authority, specialized authority, given to Jesus for His unique role in the mission. The Father and the Son are one in essence, they're equal in who they are, but with different roles in fulfilling their one purpose. And and there are two Particular categories where the Son exercises unique, specialized, sovereign authority. One, Jesus has been given authority to give life. See it in verse 21. For as the Father, or in the same way as the Father, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now This is exceedingly good news for us, my dear friends, on this resurrection day. The good news is that Jesus is already today, in this very hour, at this very moment, exerting this life-giving power in people's lives. Good verses 24 to 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in Him who sent me, has, has right now, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has right now. He has already, now, passed, passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now Right now, here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The life that Jesus has to give, that, that life is already being imparted to those who hear the Son and who respond to the Son in repentance and in faith. And the good news is that there there is no need for a believer to wait in order to experience this life. The resurrection life which will be given to the physically dead then on that day, is already being manifest as life given to the spiritually dead even now. Right now. Oh yes, Jesus will on that day. He will give life, everlasting life. But that is the culmination of and the perfection of the spiritual life that he provides immediately, right now, to anyone, to everyone who believes. Listen carefully. If you're a believer, if you are a believer... Oh, friends, may this strengthen your faith in your Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has with sovereign authority given you life. Hear this truth. Truly, truly, I say to whoever hears the voice of the Son of God. So that, that's a miracle. Whenever the spiritually dead hear the voice of the Son of God, which happened for me back in 1974, when I was spiritually dead and I heard the voice of the Son of God, whoever hears the voice of the Son of God and believes in Him who sent Jesus, he or she has Eternal life. He, she, whoever hears the voice and believes does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Loved ones. If you have heard the voice of the Son of God and you have believed and have received the gift of eternal life, you have passed from the realm of the dead to the realm of the living. Rejoice! Rejoice in your Savior who has sovereignly spoken to you and said, Live! What a gift! What a gift. But now there is a second and sobering area where the Son will someday exert His own special and sovereign authority. And that is on the day of judgment that is coming in the future verse 22 the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son verse 27 and he has given him the father has given the son authority to execute judgment because He, that is the Son, is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. Now that's a title. It's not merely identifying Him as like a human being. It's a title taken directly from the prophetic book of Daniel where it speaks of one who has the appearance of a Son of Man. Here's what it says in Daniel 7. 13 and 14. I saw one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and to him the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And so dear friends, There's coming a day when Christ Jesus shall stand as the judge of all. And there will be on that day those who, because they did not turn to the Son of Man when He offered them life. They will know the Son on that day as He brings just and perfect judgment upon them and friends if you have not turned to Christ the life giver the last thing you will want to encounter on the other side of the grave is Christ the judgment giver Because when that happens, all will be laid bare. and There will be no hiding. There will be no excuses. And there will be no justification. John 5, 28, 29. An hour is coming. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good. That is the good of having believed in him. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Here's the, here's the sum of the matter. Jesus is making a very explicit, emphatic Clear claim in these words. He is saying that he is fully God. He is saying that he is sovereign. And he is saying therefore that he bears authority. Authority that belongs to God alone. And Jesus is saying that he has the authority to give life. Life right now. Today. That will... Continue into everlasting life. And he has authority to judge on that day, which he will do. Close with a a quote. It's a fairly well known quote by C.S. Lewis. Lewis said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the foolish thing that people often say of Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. This is the one thing we cannot say. A man who was merely a man saying that sort of the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher he would either be a lunatic or else he would be a devil of hell you must make your choice either this man was and is the son of god or else he is a madman or something worse you can shut him up as a fool You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Someday, everyone will know Christ as Lord. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And the question is... Will we know Him as the Sovereign Son who is Savior? Or will we know Him as the Sovereign Son who is Judge? Let's pray.